Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. For many individuals, youth is a challenging time. With insecurities abound, pressures mount to look like everyone else, think like everyone else, and act like everyone else. In short, we choose fitting in over standing out. But for some, that choice is not so simple. You know, quite frankly, being a brown guy, you know, being very different living in northern Saskatchewan, I mean, you know you're different. And when, when, your, name, when your name is Syed Iqbal Kareem Ahmed. Yep, that's Dr. Ike Ahmed. We recently sat down at the 2017 Emmy Live meeting in Nashville for a live episode of Off the Grid. In our conversation, Ike weighed in on how being different helped him think differently and how this revolutionized the way he thought about the treatment of glaucoma. Here we go. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. All right. Yes. Let's do this. Let's do this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they got the music going too. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mayweather. All right. So, wow, hot mic is right. Yeah, thank you. I'm not sure, are we good here? Ike, I just wanna say, this is such a pleasure. I mean, there are so many things that you have done in your career to try and distill out some of the habits and some of the ways you've approached your life in 30 minutes is, um, it's gonna be tough. But I, I wanna really just start by maybe looking at the past, talking about how you grew up in Canada, maybe what it was like, we've talked a little bit about this, maybe what it was like maybe feeling a little bit different growing up, and maybe how that has impacted your willingness to have a different approach to your medical career and glaucoma. So with that being said, let's just kick it off by giving us a little bit of background on what was it like growing up in Canada? as Ike Ahmed. Yeah, well, that was, that was, that's interesting. That's a long story. But I mean, first of all, thanks, Gary, for having me up here. I think uh, I'm a big fan of yours, everything you're doing and the work you're doing. And uh, I think you could have interviewed anybody up here. And I appreciate being up here. Hopefully you can share some pros. As you can tell, I'm, I'm a pretty big conformer. So yeah, very, very conformer. well for me. Yes. But you know, I, I, as we were talking earlier, Gary, I mean, we, we've, we've all had our own experiences that, and we've shaped that experience from our childhood. And when I look back, not that I'm an analyst in my childhood, but you know, quite frankly, being a brown guy, you know, being very different, living in northern Saskatchewan, I mean, you know you're different. And when, when, your, name, when your name is Syed Iqbal Kareem Ahmed. There's not a lot of those you know, in Saskatchewan. Uh, there's not a lot of them out there, exactly. Okay. And when you're the first brown guy playing ice hockey, right? You Ever. Know, right? <laughs> now, I have, to, I have to say, though, people, people treated me pretty well for the most part. You know? Okay. But you can't help but know you're different. Right. And, and I have to be honest with you, I actually resented that. Sure. I, I want to be Gary. I want to be John. I mean, I, I mean who, what kid doesn't want to be, uh, you know, part of the cool club, club right? If you, know? you only knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, not, maybe not this Gary. But, yeah, you know. different Gary. <laughs> maybe not this there are Gary. a lot of other Garys you could have picked. Uh, so, <laughs> I picked um, because you're here. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that, kind of, uh, that kind of grew on me a little bit, and I, and I did resent it a little bit, and every kid wants to be part of the cool group and, you know, look, look like everybody else, right? Right. And well, look I at us now. Well, that's true. Now, well, yeah, we're a little long here, hippies out here, you know. 
Um, but, and everybody out here, I mean, you may not be brown, you may, but I mean, we all, I think, in our own way are different in our own way, and we feel that way as well. So I think what happened over my life, I think, I took, I took that and said, you know what, I can't change who I am. I'll be right. different. And I looked at things differently. Honestly, like I looked, at, I, looked at, I looked at this event probably different than maybe other people do, right? right. So, so that helped me kind of be different. So right. being different actually helped me to think different in that way. Well, and maybe even feeling like it's okay to have your own ideas about things, right? The problem I feel like we have sometimes in any profession is getting stuck in a rut. And so at some point you decided that, and we can kind of get into this, you were going to go into glaucoma. And, and we talked, you finished training in 2002? Yeah. Right when LASIK was the most miraculous computer-driven <laughs> advanced right. surgery to ever hit the world, you decided to go into the equivalent of being an intracapsular cataract surgeon. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, pretty well. Right? Pretty well. At that you, time, you decided time to cut holes true. in eyes with, with big, big instruments instead of doing what everyone else was doing, which was going and pursuing being a LASIK cutter. Why? What, what about glaucoma was, <laughs> was interesting? Well, I think... Again, it goes back to the way I looked at life. I mean, I, I did not like to follow. I, I mean, I, I, I became somebody who wasn't able to follow or be right. part of, uh, part of uh, what the norm was. So by being like that, I chose opportunities that were not the norm. And, and I, in fact, I saw everybody, very, obviously refractive cornea, you know, was growing retina. But glaucoma was very dormant. I thought, here's, a, here's, a, here's where no one's looking, you know. And so it was really intentional. It, it, it was, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean for me... It was something that was not, you know, was not sexy, was not talked about, was like, you know, wouldn't be even at the meeting like the, at this meeting even. Right. And I thought everyone's going this way. Well, I've been going my whole life this way. Why, why stop? Not, why not keep on going? Right. And it was kind of fortuitous that way. And I thought here's a field that should be a surgical field and isn't. And, you know, maybe there's something that's going to happen down the line. So that's kind of how it started for me in glaucoma. So one of the questions we got, we sort of threw out some questions with a hashtag hot mic with Ike. And, um, <laughs> were, they, were, they, were, they, were they like, they're like PG. family oriented? Were they PG? No, okay. no, they're like PG. Okay, good. PG-13. Good. Um, <laughs> it's okay if they're not. Though. But one of the questions was, when did you st first get the concept or have, when did the, your mental stirrings occur about MIGS? So when did you first start thinking like, can we do this differently? Was that even before you went into glaucoma? Yeah, that, had, that was before, and that's why I chose my fellowship in a place, which was at Utah, that was already doing things a little differently. Right. You know, like non-penetrating surgery and other non-TRAB-like procedures. And, you know, and then we got into micro-invasive, uh, micro-devices, stents and things like this. And, and it dawned on me when I walked into our hospital, one of our hospitals, and you see the general surgeons have sort of their minimally invasive suite. Right. Right. That differentiates what they do. Right. From typical open cases. And I thought, you know, well, this is exactly what we're doing. We're going from a, what would be like an open case, like an open, you know, right. happy or an open laparoscopic procedure and doing it minimally invasive. Right. So why can't we do that with glaucoma? It's kind of simple. Right. You know, well, let's, let's bring it to glaucoma. And so that's kind of how, you know, Mick started. And I remember back, it was like 2009 and I presented at the American Glaucoma Society. Which by, the, which, by the way, is a, is a very open society, by the way. We're very inclusive. Everyone hugs. It's, you know, kumbaya. It's everything. It's amazing. Fireworks and everything. No, it's the exact opposite, okay? Right? right so right. I basically had, you know, the stare downs and, 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 uh, and a lot of negativity. Like, what this, what's this guy talking about? You know? Right. Who's this guy? And Why is he here? Yeah, what's going on? Well, I get that a lot anyways. But right. yeah, particularly there. And so, but it's full circle now. It seems like everybody wants to be mixed now. And so it's, uh, I kind of laugh at that a little bit. 
I think that's, that is just a life lesson of when you have an idea, when you have a hunch, when something makes sense to you in your gut, don't worry about what other people are doing. If everyone else is going the same way, you know, the definition of, an insan of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. So we have to have people who are willing to say, I know people are going to think I'm crazy. I know that I'm going to challenge tradition, but this is worth it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I know a lot of residents are here, and, and I mean, everyone's here to kind of expand. And I think, uh, I think that's, that's a big lesson, I think, is, is that, you know, um, you can follow and you can basically try to, you know, grow and, and, and do things the way everyone else does it. But, you know, with a bit of courage, a little bit of challenging the norm, um, you can make big things happen. I think everybody can, you know. But it's getting your head out of that, out of that mold. And, and even in a meeting like this, I mean, we all tend to want to do things a certain way. We say this is what we do. Whatever I say right now, I would tell you, you should be thinking about something opposite, honestly. Right. Because that's how you're going to make a difference. And the second thing is that, speaking of making a difference, for me, in my life, it's very important about doing things for the first time. Okay. So, for example, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, Travis Rice fan. You know Travis Rice? is one of the best snowboarders in the world. Okay. And the reason why he loves what he does is because he will board where no one's ever boarded before. Just like T crazy. Take slopes and just go crazy stuff. And then you probably know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And the same, it's the same thing for me, right? I mean, I get a thrill doing cases that, that nobody would have, has done before. Um, not, not to show off because it's, it's that adrenaline rush, you know. Right. It's the same thing with challenging and do something different. And, and that rush is basically to be the first to do something different, um, to change the norm. And I think that's, just, that's an innate desire to do something different. Walk me through, all right, let's say a patient comes in and they have some crazy anterior segment that has just been, it's either tra trauma, a surgery that went bad, multiple retinal surgeries, multiple glaucoma surgeries. You have a situation that is going to require youth combining techniques and maybe doing things that have never been done in, in that way. Break that down for me. How do you, do you compartmentalize? Okay, we're gonna take care of the cornea, we're gonna take care of the iris, we're gonna take care of the lens, the tube, the trap. What, how do you process and how do you um, sort of dissect out um, the steps that you're gonna have? Do you map it out mentally? Do you go through the procedure in your mind? What is your, what is your prep for that Mission to Mars case that no one's yeah, ever done I, before? I, I think that uh, the best tool we have is our imagination, right? right? And we're only limited by that. And, you know, tapping into that imagination and tapping into your life experience, but also, you know, your approach to how you deal with issues, I think, is, I think, helpful in dealing with challenging problems. And I agree with you. I think I've, always, I've often said complexity uh, or complex cases is simplicity multiplied. Right. Right. So really complex cases are just doing simple steps in a logical, coherent order, well planned ahead and executed in a, in a, in a refined fashion. That's all complicated things are, in, I mean, in life and in medicine. Right. So anything complicated, you can break it, break it down into different steps. And it's, it's partly having a bit of confidence, maybe a little bit of recklessness, a little bit, but also having, you know, uh, you know a bit of an experience to do that and taking the challenge to do that. So right. I, think that, I think those kind of things helped, uh, you know, to sort of move forward into those difficult cases. All right. So we know a lot about your successes, but we all know that in a career filled with multiple experiences, there are going to be ups and there's going to be downs. So does any case or... Maybe it wasn't even a specific case, but a period of your life where you said, I'm investing in either this technology, this project, or a case that just didn't go the way you thought it would go. And what did you learn from that? Is there any 
Anything I mean, I mean there, there, there's, always, there's always failures and there's always cases. I have to say, I have, I'm good at forgetting those. Me too. I'm very yeah. good at forgetting yeah. those. So I don't I even know what to tell any, you yet, right? I you know? can't remember any of those. But, but I think having, having, a, having a bit of a faulty memory, I mean, seriously. Do you feel like that makes you resilient? Absolutely, absolutely. Like it's, it's okay. Yeah, you, you, have, you have to be obviously honest about it, but also be able to move forward on it. You okay. know? And we all, we all, every day we make, we make mistakes and, and, and make errors. And I think it's about learning from that, getting back up and, and doing it. I mean... It helped, it helped getting, you know, punched a few times as a kid, falling down and getting back up again, right? So, right. again, going back to those, so, so that really helps you to kind of be resilient. And, right. and I'll be honest with you, I mean, I, I do feel um, almost uncomfortable being here because I don't deserve necessarily to be here to tell people my story. I mean, everybody has a great story. Um, and my story should be, if I, if I deserve to be up here, is that anybody could be up here. Anybody could do it. If I did anything that was positive in, in professional life, anyone can do it. Because if I could do it, anyone can do it. Well, I, I, I hear that, but I would say that everyone in this room looks to you and you earned your spot. You earned your spot because you were excellent and you, you just did it the old fashioned way of, of being a very, very good surgeon. And I'm, I'm not just trying to blow smoke here. You, you earned your spot. And so that's another question I have for you that I really wanted to kind of dig into is when do you feel like you earned the right or was this something you've always felt that you've always had sort of just the right to speak up? I mean, is that something that, and this maybe even outside of ophthalmology, because we've talked about, you know, social media. Social media is sort of this new small town that we form in our own communities of people across vast spaces, right? But they're in sort of our, our intimate lives by the things we post and the things that we share. And you live your life fairly, um, I would say, kind of like, hey, this is me. This is Ike. I love people. And, you know, like, I'm a... I mean, this is what I get from, from your social media posts, you know, like you're, you kind of live your life out there. It's a big facade. And okay, well, maybe <laughs> it is. So, but talk about that. You know, what do you feel like, you know, when you have a voice in ophthalmology and you're a leader in ophthalmology, that can extend outside and you can use that for maybe moving people in a direction of like, hey, you know, we can look at each other with maybe a little bit more openness or a little bit more honesty. Yeah, I mean, I think, there, I think there are a couple of things I, I will add to that, I mean, to say about that. One is I think that in this day and age, and, I, and I, I'm big about digital and social media and technology, but sometimes it's hard to know what's real. Right. Like, I'm serious, and what's authentic, and what's organic. And, and I think, you know, we get thrills with all this other stuff going on here, but the biggest enjoyment sometimes we get is the organic, uh, you know, successes. So I encourage, you know, all of us to think about that in terms of, like, you know, make it, making it real, first of all. And speaking of that, I mean, again, we, we have to also remember that as much as we, I love all this stuff, we're, we're human beings, we're in medicine. We took a Hippocratic Oath not to help your vision, not to see 2015, right, but to make you whole as a person, right? right? I mean, I never forget that, right? And I think that extends beyond what we do with our hands and in our examination lanes. And for me, I think medicine is about, again, humanity, right? So, so yeah, I mean, I, I have a strong feelings on, on, on social justice issues and on right. humanity issues. And, on trying to bring people together in, in today's world, which does seem to be a bit challenging. And I have to say, I guess, being someone who is, for example, in 2017, being a Muslim, right? right? A lot of bad shit happening that Muslims are doing and, and, and the name that comes around that. You know, you, you feel compelled to be able to speak to that, not necessarily as a Muslim, but as a human being, right, who, you know, is associated with something like that. That's one example, right? right. And, uh, and, and, you know, being in a society where, of course, we are inclusive, but yet we see major divisions in societies. Right. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's perhaps beyond ophthalmology, but, but I think it really encompasses what, who we are as an MD. And I think anybody who's got those initials or is in healthcare, I think, uh, you know, has that responsibility. And I think I've talked to many of us, of course, uh, along the phase, and I learned from many of you here, 
But uh, don't be afraid to, to have that courage to speak up for what's right. You'll be fulfilled with what you do in your practice and in your life. But sooner than later, you'll be going through the motions and going through the motions and you'll be perhaps not as, uh, not as content. And, and when you see you've impacted life, but whatever small things you do, and we're privileged, Gary. We have a voice. We have a position no matter what we like. We're role models to our patients, to our families, to our communities. And whether we like it or not, and I'm a Charles Barkley fan, but even despite that, <laughs> um, we're role models, right? And I think we should actually try to live up to that. And, and I'm not saying if you don't do it, it's wrong. But I think it's a responsibility we have. I know you do the same thing in your community, right? right? And it's a wonderful responsibility to have. But I can tell you that probably my most fulfilling things I do is not taking somebody who's had 10 opinions and had five different surgeries and has told they're never going to see again and getting them to see again or cutting edge glaucoma surgery or inventions or getting awards or getting you know, some of the things I've been privileged to doing. But it's when I have a heart-to-heart discussion with someone like you, a brother like you, right. about human things, man. I remember those things much more than anything else. Yeah, it is really interesting. You know, so you, you're a Muslim. I'm a Christian, you know, from the South, actually, sort of. I'm kind of from Michigan, but transplanted to the South. So <laughs> We'll give you that one. <laughs> you'll figure that out. What's really interesting is uh, through some of your posts and through some of our conversations, I feel like I have, I understand a little bit more. I've broadened my mind. I've opened my heart. And see, I see things differently. So I want to encourage you that through the risks that you've taken a little bit or putting yourself out there saying, hey, you know, evaluate this a little bit differently. Don't paint everyone with this broad brush of, you know, good or bad or whatever. Um, it has impacted me and has really helped me personally. So I want to say thank you for being courageous enough to, hey, let us in a little bit on, on, on what it's like to be Ike Ahmed and, and what it's like to be in your community. That being said, I want, here's a new question that actually just came in uh, through Twitter. What is a typical day like for Ike? All right. What does it look like for you? What is your, what time do you wake up in the morning? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so, so I'll tell you one thing. I mean, so I, I, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink or smoke or, or maybe drugs. I kind of stay out of as well for the okay. most part. Right. Um, no drugs. So ad- adre- adrenaline, adrenaline is my drug. Okay. Okay. Got so it. I basically have adrenaline highs all the time and crashes as well. So I basically, I get up at about 4.35 in the morning. Okay. Okay. That's how early I get up. I will, uh, I will read at that time. I'll work out, you know, at least for an hour. I have, uh, I have a big 16 screen in my gym. I will watch my videos from before. I will go through emails. I'll answer stuff on my, on my treadmill even. I've got a keyboard built in. I do that for the first hour. So you're running, I'm running and I'm seven and I'm typing. miles an hour yeah. and you're typing you're away typing or responding. Yeah. So a lot of you, a lot of you will see some type of emails okay. from that That's time in the morning. Yep. Okay. And I do that. And then uh, I have four kids. So I, you know, we try to, you know, get the kids up and um, a wonderful wife who's uh, been very supportive of everything here. And then I go to work and my work basically is, is, you know, surgery or clinic. And I have a very surgical practice. Our fellows are a big part of our practice and teaching. Um, and then I try to finish my day, honestly, by about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So it's a very intense day. Right. A, lot of, a lot of surgery patients and everything else. And then I'm done. And then I wear my administrative hat, meetings and everything else. And then I like to go home. I like to go home and, and chill out on the couch. Sometimes take a little nap and hang out with the family. I mean, I, 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 my family's big right. uh, to me. And, uh, and catch up with some friends and then evening with my wife and kids and then kind of boring, sorry guys. Uh, and then, and then I, do, I do take work at home. So I will, okay. I will do my editing and, and reviewing and writing papers and presentations and stuff like that. Uh, and then try to, hit the, try to hit the bed by about 11.30 or so or 12. So I'm someone who sleeps very deeply. I, say, I, know about, I need about four or five hours of sleep. Wow. Um, but I sleep really, you couldn't can, you can wake me up. There's a fire alarm tonight, 
the shirt and I'm, I'm still sleeping at forget about it. five in the morning. So that, the morning. That, that's an interesting question that I think we all struggle with is, you know, I've got two kids. We had two kids in med school and, and so they've been with us through this entire journey. Actually, not to make this about me, but part of the reason I chose ophthalmology is I was on a general surgery track and I realized that, man, I just probably wasn't gonna be around for my kids as much as I wanted to be. So actually sort of that's part of the reason I changed over to find ophthalmology was, you know, my kids, my wife, like that's, that is such a core of, of, that's sort of like everything else sort of surrounds supporting them. So, you know, work-life balance or having capacity to do the things you love professionally, but having enough time to make sure that your wife and your kids know that they're important and that they are, you know, of priority. I mean, how do you, that's not easy. It's not easy, but I can tell you, you know, as I say, happy life, happy wife, happy everything, right? You know, uh, or the other way around, sorry. Right. Um, I think what I learned, I learned, I learned to stop doing things I don't like to do. So I'll be at a meeting or a conference call, and if I, it doesn't, if it doesn't interest me, just I'll, I'll hang up. I'm done. I'm like, done. I'm done. If this conversation isn't going much, I'm like, well, like you, like you know, like grab the shoulder. You could just grab right? the shoulder and be out and at move any on. Point it. So I think, I think, boring. I think, knowing when to move on, I think, is really important, and, and picking the right things to do, right? Right. You know, be successful at a few things that you really enjoy, and don't worry about the rest of it. Like let let that ride and, and don't try to accomplish everything uh, and that's probably the thing that uh, helps but but I think it's hard it'd be hard for me to be comfortable in my career if I wasn't comfortable at home and vice versa right I think that'd be very hard for me I, I say the same thing you have to have that that bedrock at home you know where basically you are anchored and then it allows you to go out and, and do a lot of fun things let's switch gears a little bit we've talked a lot about the past about your, sort of your journey and, and, and what you've learned I want to get inside of your mind about where you feel like we're going. You know, I could ask a lot of people and they would might have, you know, some answers, but I want to know in, in your opinion with glaucoma specifically, but I mean, you can take this however you want, you know, refractive cataract surgery, other unmet needs elsewhere. Where do you feel like there are some major unmet needs in glaucoma and where do you think we're going to be in five, 10, and maybe even way down in the future towards the end of your career? Where are we going? Well, I'd say overall, I, and I've had some experiences now in, the, in these areas. I mean, I think uh, you know, artificial intelligence is basically upon us right now right. And, and will be extremely, extremely a big part of, uh, of medicine and life, honestly. And I think, you know, yeah, we talk about social media and internet. I mean, that's like small potatoes compared to artificial intelligence and right. what the power of artificial intelligence and, and what the technology companies are working in this area on not even, not even in medicine, but beyond medicine, right. that I think uh, is going to be very powerful in, in accessing patients, treating patients, communicating with the patients, uh, ultimately, you know, basically developing the algorithms to, uh, you know, for, for care plans and, and health care. So I think, I think that's an area that I think we need to really be really, you know, paying attention to. And I think most of us in the room don't necessarily are in that space. You know, I've got buddies in the tech space and the, in Silicon Valley, and, and I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's huge in that area, right? right. And you just see, it, you see the surface of it happening now. So I think that's an area I would say anybody's gonna be in practice for the next, more than the next 10 years, needs to be very attuned to, because it's gonna change the way you practice, the way you communicate with patients, the way you access everything. Um, and so do you, do you envision a model where a patient comes in and you're basically identifying the, the risk factors or maybe even- They haven't even come in yet. Okay, they're, so they're, they're, on, they're on their mobile, they're on their phone. They're okay. on their mobile, mobile. So Alexa, camera. Amazon Alexa we'll tell is you looking that. at their eyes. She'll basically diagnose you. She'll basically suggest the right treatment pattern. And if you need to have uh, uh, a script or anything done, it'll be done for you. And, uh, and if you need surgery, um, you know, pick the right robot. Wow. Or us. Or us. For now. 
But I, no, I, I think that's not, that's not too distant. I really believe that the way we're going with this stuff and the exponential growth in technology and using the data. I mean, there's so much we mined. And, and I'm not talking about getting a history. I'm not talking about getting a history from a, from a typical uh, entry. It's basically behavioral. It's basically behavioral artificial intelligence will basically be able to pick out whether you're going to get this or that and, and whether you're having a visual issue or not and what the best course of action should be. That technology, you know, in some ways already kind of exists in some, in some rudimentary ways. And I think that's going to be very, um, maybe sound futuristic in some ways, but I think it's going to be extremely disruptive. It already is in some areas. So that's sort of like a philosophical care shift from sort of our, our, our fundamental approach of evaluating, you know, our own, with our own algorithms and switching those over to more formalized algorithms. What do you feel like are some unmet needs that maybe in the next five years, um, device-wise or... Um, you know, I'm thinking we've got some big unmet needs in presbyopia. We sure. still have some unmet needs in glaucoma where we don't know what someone's pressure might be, you know, in between visits. I mean, do you feel like these things could potentially move the needle for us as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're not going to be far away to basically where just like now, essentially, everybody who has cataract surgery, essentially, we're going for hemotropia. Anyone who's going to have cataract surgery or lens surgery is going to get a presbyopic lens. I mean, I think that's basically, it's going to be, that is going to be the future. That is the future for right. us. So anybody getting cataract surgery, they're going to get a presbyopic lens. I mean, that's going to be, I think, the, the, the new norm in the future as, as, we, as technology changes. Um, glaucoma, of course, is, is close to me. And I think, as, we, as we've often heard about, this becoming very, very interventional. Right. I mean, you know, there's no such thing as just, you know, a, a glaucoma follow-up. I mean, basically, you're actively doing something for this disease. And, of course, you know, stem cell, neuroprotection, all the rest of it is, is extremely exciting as far as reversing disease. So, right. In retina and, and in glaucoma, these, of course, are, are big areas of, of need and I think are, are going to probably be first in the eye in terms of their, um, their innovation in, in terms of medicine. Here's another, maybe a little off topic, but when you go to glaucoma meetings now and you see some of the AGS doubters or the haters, ha has your reception changed? Have people come up to you and said, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong to doubt you. No, but they all want to be my friends now. <laughs> so, so, no, I mean, you know, I, 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 I think, honestly, I mean, I, I don't mean this to just say this, but I mean, I think, I think you've got to have humility with this stuff. I mean, yeah, you know what, those were not easy, and I, and I don't think it's anywhere compared to the folks that were before us in the cataract. Right, the FACO. The FACO and the, and, the, right. and the IOL hardships that, that, that folks underwent. And, I mean, that's something we should all read about if you haven't, you know, if you're not familiar with that. But, you know, you basically move forward on it. I always feel like you've got to move forward to it. And it's a bit gratifying. It's kind of, you know, when you see this, these kind of things happening and people coming to you to, to get guidance and, and to lead things. But uh, it's a whole battle. I mean, you still, still there are a lot of, you know, I mean, a lot of egos in our field uh, in any area. And that's one thing I've always felt has been just really detrimental to progress. Right. So, right. you know, check your ego at the door. Um, yes, be proud of what you do, but, but there's no need to have an ego. And I think that's something that, uh, I'm not just picking on the AGS, but in general, I've always been really, um, you, know, you know, something that I tried to stay away from. All right, here's another question. This is from Sahar Bedrood. Uh, you've done basically probably every MIG surgery and then some we've never heard of and, and may not hear for a while. Probably, I'm guessing there's probably not a favorite one because there's a lot of different categories, but do you have a favorite, I mean, that you like? Or in certain categories, you feel like, in this situation, this is just my go-to. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think it's going to be so much like, it's like saying your favorite IOL, right? right. I mean, I think, I think you're going to have probably your, 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 your workhorse one, perhaps, but I find myself shifting and turning in many different ways. Obviously, when I'm doing something with cataract surgery, I'm going to do something that's going to be, you know, you know really straightforward, quick recovery, 
and probably for someone who doesn't necessarily need a very you know low low pressure. So in those scenarios, I want to you know I want to go somewhere probably more toward natural outflow systems and and internal drainage procedures. I have to say I'm probably more stenting in that sense. I think stenting is. Uh, has been sort of what I, you know, have been doing kind of more, more of than anything else okay. as far as the way to start. But certainly some of the other approaches, dilating, cutting, other things like that, I think are, are gaining some interest as well. And then I think, you know, I know that the bleb is not popular in terms of a term, but I think we're off, we are going back to now the what bleb. what is a bleb? Exactly. Um, it's a little bit of fluid under your cosmic oh, tower, right? I you think know. I saw that as a resident. But, but we're, we're able to find better ways to, to form these blebs, and I think they're going to be a place that we're still going to be moving toward to in, in the future, still for glaucoma for those that need it. So I look at, I look, I look at, I look at we're, very, we're, really, we're really in a good place um, to sort of pick your product. But I would say, yeah, I mean, I think you want to, for those that are doing MIGs, I mean, you know, pick a few places that you feel are, are, are have, have your favorite canal procedure. You've got supercortical and you've got subconge, and, you know, kind of, Figure, figure patient profile, but I'll save that for tomorrow because tomorrow we have our, our master class for right. those of you that are going to be right. attending in the morning. All right, this is a question from Michael Patterson. Would you change anything about the field of ophthalmology? And if, and if so, what or why? That's a very broad it's question. a broad question. So uh, I don't think I have changed much, but I will say this, and um, again, it has to go back to sort of knowing what's real. And, you know, I, I love working with industry. I love working with collaborators, but I always want to make sure that we come back to what's real and what the evidence is and what makes a difference for our patients. And, um, you know, it's hard sometimes to sift through what is marketing, what isn't, and what's real and what isn't. And you get bombarded with all this information out there. And I think that, you know, going to, going to a place where we know what we're going to have is real, I think is important. We don't necessarily always get that, you know. Right. And I think, I think that, um, I know it may sound kind of a bit uh, old school, but I think you know, and it's meaningful when something is real. Because in the end of the day, uh, you know, that's part of what I think we do as, as physicians. But also, it's also something that we know can probably be sustainable. Well, uh, and, and I future. just think that there's, we only have so many hours in our day. Why don't we invest those hours in the things that make the highest impact, you know, instead of chasing things that may not, may not work. So, all right, I have to ask this question. This is from Priyanka Sood. Um, how do you, how, how, what's the secret to the hair? All right, how do you, how do you get the awesome <laughs> just don't, yeah, just don't cut my hair, it's pretty simple just actually. Just don't cut that, it, you know. that's it? It's basically Sheraton shampoo and conditioner. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, okay. that's all it is. Sheraton. That's all it the is Sheraton. actually. The Sheraton shampoo. <laughs> yeah. Priyanka, there it is, uh, Sheraton shampoo and conditioner. You can have that wave as well. Um, all right, what, what is the most, if you can talk about this, because I'm sure there's a lot of like Skunk Works projects you're working on, but at this time, is there a particular project that you're working on that you are most excited about? And we'll just, we'll just segment Omega out of this. Okay, okay. well, I was going to say so, Omega. Right, so you don't have to Look up about, Omega, guys, right, okay, no, all right? No, that's, no. What is the coolest thing you're working on right now? Um, okay, well, I, I probably can't disclose too much, but basically we're using... Uh, neurostimulation to try to enhance aqueous outflow. Okay. Is this with the gold um, contact lens from so, Purdue? Yes. So you're familiar with that. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's, that to me is one of the more exciting areas. We've seen some pretty cool a animal and now early human data where a very non-invasive and a very powerful way and a very safe way to enhance aqueous outflow using basically neurostimulation. Right. So I, I'm involved in that project. I can't say too much about it. But um, I think that's going to be very clever, and it can be applied in many different ways, actually. So, it's um, one of the most novel. If you haven't read about it, there, this is potential game changer on a whole nother level. Yeah. Look up bio, BioNode. 
so, you know, I, I'm excited about that. Obviously, I have a bit of a tilt in glaucoma, of course, you know. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and I think that that's an area. And I think, uh, again, you know, some of the some of the work that we're trying to get off the ground in terms of stem cell and neuros, you know, that those areas, I think, are are super exciting. They're right. slow, of course. Right. But, um, but I, see a lot of, I see a lot of, a lot of potential in that. Okay. This is our last question. This comes from Netta Shami. How would your colleagues describe you? And then the follow-up question is, how do you think your wife and kids would describe you? <laughs> That's a hard question. I don't know how my colleagues would describe me because um, it's really hard to know because I, I think I look at myself very differently than perhaps other people think. Right. Um, I, I, I honestly am a very simple person. I, I, I think maybe colleagues think like I'm some you know, super person who can do all these things and that's, do, that's and, true. And I'm, I'm a smart guy and really cool, good looking person or something like yeah. that, you know, yes. but uh, that's, that's so right. opposite. It's so opposite actually, you know, <laughs> uh, I can't, uh, seriously, it's farther from the truth. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm very much reflective and I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking I'm the best or the greatest. In fact, I think that there are uh, so, many, so many reasons why I'm not and, and why I think uh, I learned from so much. So, Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's what people think. I don't know. It's probably, I think my facade, my, my, probably the image is different than what the reality is, I think. As far as my wife and kids, I think, um, I don't know, it's another good question as well. I, I think they just look at me as a dad. Right. Really. They look at me as a they dad. They think you're husband. fun? I, I think they think I'm fun. I think I'm, I'm, I'm always the one who's pushing for family time. Right. Like get, get, seriously, I'm like, family time, guys, we've got to get together for dinner and, and push that a lot. They probably get annoyed by that the most, probably. But I cherish those times and well, that's probably what they remember. Ike, you are a tremendous colleague, you're a brother, um, and I really appreciate what you've done for our profession, what you've done for me personally, just taking the phone call. I mean, I've called this guy and he just picks up the phone and we talk about things, and it's fantastic. So just from me and, and from everybody uh, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for what you've done for our profession, and we just feel lucky that we get to share this journey with you, man. So, thanks, thanks, thanks for listening, man. Thank you. Thanks. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I think we'd all like to go back and tell our younger selves that the status quo is not all that it's cracked up to be. Our differences help us develop new perspectives and innovative ideas that push the envelope. And they just might help us change the world, or at least glaucoma. Above all, there's a powerful lesson here in embracing our own differences and accepting others. MIGS aside, I think that that is one of the greatest contributions Ike has made in our field. So thanks for tuning in for this special live recording of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. For more episodes, visit itube.net slash podcast, and please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, let's continue to take our thinking off the grid. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon.